Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have joined forces to battle evil, the newest heroes joining the champions of the Golden Age, presenting Tales of the Justice Society of America. And welcome back to Tales of the Justice Society of America. My name is Michael Bailey. And I'm Scott Gardner. And this week we are here once again for the eighth time. I can't believe we're on episode eight. I know it. Um, Eighth time to talk about yet another adventure of the greatest and first super team ever, the Justice Society of America. But first, we have a new feature we're introducing here uh, irregularly on uh, Tales of the JSA, and that is, Scott, what's in the fucking box? (laughs) I don't know if it'll necessarily be a new feature, but it just kind of caught my fancy today. I thought, well, maybe the listeners would be interested in this sort of thing. You know, we're we're just after Christmas as we record this, a few days after Christmas, and I got what I consider sort of a late Christmas present, which was my Heroes Corner order arrived. Now, Heroes Corner, for for those that don't know, is sort of like the alternative to to, uh, DCB, uh, what is it? DCB service, yeah, discount comic book service. Not that there's anything wrong with them. I I was using them a while ago, but uh, I really like Heroes Corner. They really take good care of me, and they're a great service. And anyway, my my box arrived today, and I thought, I wonder if the listeners would give a shit about what Scott gets in his uh, Heroes Corner order. So here's what I got today, just just to let you know. I got the latest of the Star Wars, the Clone Wars, little, like, digest size, uh, I don't know if you'd call this a trade or whatever, you know, they're, they're just the little, the little digest size books, almost like a, like one of those Archie digest type of things. This one's called The Colossus of Destiny. It's got a great cover on it of, uh, of, uh, Mace Windu and uh, a couple of, uh, clone troopers behind him and all this blaster fire and stuff. It looks really cool. I can't wait to read it. I've been really digging this series. They're, they're done very much in the, uh, Clone Wars Adventures uh, style of, of drawing. You know, it's kind of simple art, but uh, but I really like it. And I've really been enjoying those stories. I got Jonah Hex number fifty, which I'm really really looking forward to reading. Um, I know that Jimmy Palmiotti is you know, the writer on this. He's been super excited about this particular issue because uh, Darwin Cook is the artist on it. I'm not the biggest Darwin Cook fan in the world, but uh, I saw some of the uh, preliminary sketches and stuff that Palmiotti's been putting up online, and it looks really awesome. It's got a great cover on it, so I'm really looking forward to that. I got JSA All-Stars number one, which I've heard good things about, but this is the only issue I'm going to be getting. I I bought this one just simply because it was, like, super deep discounted. So I thought, what the hell, I'd check it out. You know, I I like the JSA and all, but I don't plan to follow this title. Um... Green Lantern Core number 43, which I, I just dropped this title, so this is probably the last issue I'll be getting. The Walking Dead number 68, which I have read already, so yeah, that, that's uh, that's a fantastic issue. Love that. That's still yes. my favorite my favorite title. So. Love that book. 
Star Wars: The Clone Wars number eleven, which kicks off a new uh, a new story, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this. This is one of my favorite titles coming out. I'm really really digging that. Secret Six by uh, Gail Simone, and uh, man, that's a fantastic book. If you guys aren't reading Secret Six, you really need to give it a try, because it's really, it's been fantastic every issue. No clunkers yet, and uh, really enjoying that one. Justice Society of America, number 34, which again, it's probably my last issue on this, because I did drop this title, so either this one or next one is uh, is the last one I'll be getting. Well, we, uh, we kind of talked about that on Two True Freaks a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I have both come to the conclusion that basically what Willingham and Sturgis seem to be doing is bringing the JSA in line with the current dark and gritty DC universe. And that's just not the JSA to me. That's, That's not what that team represents. You can have dark things happen, but it seems like the major point of their stories are to bring conflict into the JSA so that they can split them off into two teams. And you can have the JSA All Stars as the young guys, and it's just—it's just like that's just a complete waste of my time. I, I agree with everything you just said, but actually, my reasoning was a little bit simpler than that. I just think the story's been fucking boring. I, I'll just be honest; with you. I just think it's been really dull. So I decided to drop it because I just can't afford dull right now. You know, when when the books are as expensive as they are, I just can't afford to buy something that's mediocre, which is a damn shame because you know I've got year runs of stuff that was boring as hell, but I stuck with. It, hoping that well this will get better you know because i mean superman as much as i love superman you can't deny the fact that superman waxes and wanes you know he yes. he has periods where he's awesome and he has very long periods where he's just kind of eh. and you know i stuck with him through all those those periods but sadly you know they're just too damn expensive to stick with something that's just not thrilling you issue to issue and these days i usually give something between three and six issues to get better and if it doesn't I gotta drop it, and sorry, but ever since uh, John's left uh, JSA, I just I think it kind of sucks. So sorry, I had to drop it. Um, let's see, Green Lantern number forty-nine, which again I know this is sounding kind of old, but you know I just dropped this book too, so it's probably my last issue. And then just on a whim, I decided, you know, over on Choo Choo Freaks, and and this is not me trying to hawk my other show, but just you know just. To, uh, justify why I made these other purchases. You know, we do uh, a regular monthly show on both Star Wars and Star Trek, and I got to thinking that you know both of those uh, franchises have an official magazine that comes out, and I've never really checked it out. I've heard good things about it, but never really dove in and and saw what you know what it all was about. So just out of curiosity, I picked up the latest issue of Star Wars Insider, which looks really interesting. I love the cover on this, because it's got a really cool picture of uh, of a CGI Bosk down in the corner of it, so I'm curious what that's all about. And then, I'm loving this, I got the uh, Star Trek magazine, and the cover feature, the, the, the major thing I bought this for was, it says right on the cover, celebrating 30 years of Star Trek the motion picture. And now anybody that knows me or listens to <laughs> Two True Freaks knows I love Star Trek the motion picture. It's my favorite of the Star Trek films. I'm a major fan. I, I'll even I'll even accept the label of major apologist for uh, – 
the motion picture. And uh, what's really, really funny, though, is here this is a brand-new magazine that just came out. Well, about a month or so ago at the local flea market, I picked up a, an issue of Bananas magazine. Do you remember that magazine? <laughs> I know I know what you're talking about. I never bought yeah. it, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I picked up their issue, which was when Star Trek The Motion Picture first came out. And damn, if you put these two magazines side by side, you'd never know that they were published 30 years apart. They look so similar. It's really kind of wacky, <laughs> but... Uh, but yeah, I'm excited I, to read that because I, I love that movie and, and anything that can you know lend to that that legacy or whatever. I'm curious to read about, and that's what's in the box. <laughs> <laughs> I read Star Wars Insider just about every month for in a, for in 2004 until about May of 2005, right before Episode Three came mm-hmm. out. Not because I was buying it; I never bought a single issue. But my wife worked at Walmart at the time, and I would sometimes go to pick her up or be waiting for her so we could go home together because I worked next door to where she was working. And I'd be sitting there sometimes for like an hour, and I'd just sit there and read Star Wars <laughs> Insider. I'd just get it off the magazine rack. <laughs> I burn stolen. That's as, theft uh, of services, dude. I'm proud of you. Uh, yeah, Walmart. Walmart never rips anybody off. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> no, I'm glad. I, I, I'm really glad that that Star Trek one kind of reminded you of that bananas. I, I, I was a little too young to read bananas because uh, I was about God. How old was I when Star Trek came out? I was three. Oh my god. And a half. Abouts. Yeah, I was almost four years old when that movie came out, so I wasn't quite reading yet. <laughs> but uh, I do remember magazines based on movies I was really looking forward to, and uh, so I can I can definitely empathize and sympathize with what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, let's see, what, what's in my box, uh, my, my hold box? Uh, nothing. I haven't been to the comic shop in about four weeks. So. Oh, gosh. Just haven't had the money. It's it's that kind of economy. So you don't have one of those those comic shops that hounds the piss out of you if you don't come get your books on a regular basis. No, they like me. I uh, I'm not proud of this, but they once let me go for almost a year, not picking up. Oh my god! On a basis, I eventually bought it all, and that's why they that's why they let me slide because they know eventually it's gonna be out of there. Uh, and uh, but with me trimming my hold list so much, I think I'm. I think right now I'm down to The Walking Dead, the three books my wife gets, which are Fables, Jack of Fables, and the Anita Blake book. Mm-hmm. Um, the Superman books and the Hulk books, and that's. It. Are you still buying Superman? Yeah, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to give me shit before we got into you the rest of the episode. You pussy. So. Just drop them already. They suck. Ignoring you. <laughs> be a man well, and drop them already. You can do it. <laughs> this is not something to be a man about. But uh, Oh, my God. So moving back to the JSA, <laughs> even though we did kind of talk about the Justice Society, I, I, I pretty much dropped that, too. I'm dropping Justice League as well. Because the last two issues have made me nearly violent. So. <laughs> Goddamn Blackest Night. I know I'm in such the minority on that. And, and you know, we, no, you we know I don't. This. You know, I think the tide has turned because I've heard more people saying that they're just, 
you know, even people that were super, super psyched. And I, and I count myself among them. I was super psyched about Blackest Night when it first kicked off. I mean, when I got my Blackest Night ring in the mail, I was a major dork about that. I was like, oh, yeah, my Blackest Night ring. And I was all freaking out and everything. But, you know, I don't know what it is. It's not even that it's, like, bad or anything. It's just that about halfway into it, I was like... I just what, what's the big fucking deal with this? I you know I just I just kind of lost interest in it, you know. And I've yeah, heard that, a lot that, more that people kinda, saying that, that too. That was kind of my thing too. It, you know, it's nothing against you know Jeff Johns has only done one thing that I haven't liked. Uh, just about everything else that man has written, I have loved, absolutely loved. So it's not a knock against Jeff Johns. It's not an, even a knock against the concept of uh, the concept of the series because it's not a bad concept it's just there's another podcast that I listen to listen to called two in one showcase right and they were talking about this on their most recent episode Blake and Chase were and Chase kind of nailed it is that I think you know publishers poo-poo event fatigue but I think when you follow these events so closely together, and have everything about the universe involved in that event. Because when I was first collecting comics back in the 87, and when you were collecting comics in the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. there was the crossover once a year. Right. But usually it only took up, a, like, Legends went over six months, but when it ended, it ended. Right. And it didn't lead into something else. Millennium took a month, two months to do. It was a weekly series. Invasion was a three-issue series that only took two months of crossovers. Uh, War of the Gods didn't take up too much. Then they went to the annuals, but even when they brought back Zero Hour, you know, Underworld Unleashed, Final Night, Genesis, DC One Million, um, Day of Judgment... And even Joker's Last Laugh, those took one month out of the year to do. Right. And then for the rest of the time, you had the normal adventures of that character. Because of how they have structured their stories and having everything... I mean, let's face it, everything up until the publication of Blackest Night number 1, there was an entire year in Green Lantern, the, the... the regular Green Lantern series that was nothing but build up to that. Right. So it's just like by the time you get to it, one, you've kind of ruined all the anticipation because you're like, ooh, look at this. Ooh, look at this. Ooh, look at this. And when you get to the end, it's just like, ooh, oh, oh, okay. It's just kind of the same thing. And there are certain problems I have with the story itself, but that is, that pales in comparison to the fact that I'm just fucking sick of the eternal crossovers and that we have to have one once a year that eats so much time out. I mean, Final Crisis was like took eight months, even though it was like a five or six issue series. Blackest Night is going to take nine. And then I'm sure they're going to leave that, they're going to follow that right up with War of the Superman. So it's like, where is my downtime? Right. Where is my time to? Ju- where is the time for writers and artists to develop a character and get you to like them, instead of always having them involved in a universal calamity? So that's my diatribe. I just wonder how we got here. You know, how did we get here to where it is event after event after event? And I wonder if they're they're mirroring 
the movies. If they're trying to do them like like a movie to where there's constantly got to be the next big blockbuster and they're no longer allowing, you know, I, I don't know what you would want to call it, old school, old fashioned, whatever comic book stories where, you know, you, you have the, the regular run of the mill stuff going on. And the event was just that it was an event because it was something special. Events aren't really something special right now because you no, just got no, one no. after another. So, I mean, it, to me, it, it loses any sort of real punch. You know, when when you've just got one follows another follows another, and you know, let's face it, most of them are kind of mediocre at best. So, you know, where where's the build up? Where's the excitement? And the other thing I miss is the series that spawn out of the event. Right. Usually, they only have mini series, and who gave a shit about those four or five six issue mini series that spun out of Final Crisis? Right. <laughs> Though I guess your your question to that would be, who gives a shit about Final Crisis? But because <laughs> well, I know your feelings yeah. on that story. But you know, Legends out of Legends, we got Justice League, we got Suicide Squad, and we got the Flash. Mm-hmm. Out of Millennium, we got that Manhunter series that was very good. I love that series. Mm-hmm. You know, out of Invasion, we got Justice League Europe and Legion. Right. You know, it seemed like. Even though they were events, they led to launching other titles that lasted quite a long time. Right. And it's just like, out of Infinite Crisis came one year later. Who gives a shit? <laughs> one year later was a failure on just about every level. Yep. You know, and, and then we had the weekly series, which thankfully they're not doing right now because they ran that into the ground. I think, though, that to answer your question, how did we get to this point? We got to this point because Marvel and DC looked at the sales figures from Infinite Crisis and Civil War and said, we got to keep this going. Right. Because sales might go down. So they launch the next big thing. And Marvel, it's eaten up their entire line of books. Right. And that's not a... How can anybody get an entry point into the books at this point? Well, see, I, I think it, you know, the, the backfire to that is that when you tie everything in to that one universe span, uh, spanning thing, if you've got somebody like me, for example, who goes, you know, I don't really give a shit about this, then it's that much easier to not only drop titles, but you can drop the entire fucking universe of titles. I mean, I haven't read any Marvel since the end of... Uh, was it Civil No, we're not... Yeah, it was pretty much Civil War. I, and I came back and checked out... Secret Invasion. But I mean, other than that isolated title, just those, what was that, seven issues? That was eight issues, but like the last three happened in an hour. Yeah. I mean, other than that, you know, I came back just to check that out because it was getting such hype and everything. But other than that, I've pretty much been gone from Marvel since the end of Civil War. And I find that I don't miss it because, you know, Civil War ended, it goes straight into Secret Invasion, which was mediocre at best. Now it's into that stupid, uh, you know, Acts of Vengeance rehash, which Acts of Vengeance <laughs> was a hell of a lot better than what they're doing right now. Oh, hell yes. Oh, my God. And, you know, I, I find that because they've tied their entire universe in to this event right now, which I think is weak, it's that much easier to say, I don't care to read Marvel right now. It's all wrapped up in something I just don't give a shit about. There's not even anything off in the fringes that, that you know, usually when you've, you've got some universe you know, spanning event like that, 
there'll, there'll usually be some fringe titles that are that are just you know say ah screw that we're not going to play in that sandbox right now you know you've got some some writer that's you know being rogue and deciding well you know the the shit that I'm telling in this is more important than you know the Millennium crossover or whatever and I, I can't afford to tie up you know valuable time in my title to tell that story so I'm just going to plug along with what I'm doing and for whatever reason the editors let them do it for some reason that's not going on right now you know it's either you've got to conform or or you know your books you know goes away or whatever I, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that it seems that the writing pool is is smaller and smaller mm-hmm. as you've got guys writing several different books and they're all looking at dc especially because i'm more of a dc guy right, you know, marvel you know i can drop marvel any day of the week it's just like you know that, that that's some that's an area i i camp out in every once in a while mm-hmm. but you know i built a house in the dc universe right. so i have a little more vested in them emotionally and it seems that at some point right around 2004 they got it into their heads. I don't know if it was Dan DiDio or Paul Levitz or whoever at, a, at, a, at an executive editorial level decided, you know what, all this shit's got to tie together. Mm-hmm. And they started putting a lot of the writing, I wouldn't say burden, but that's, for lack of a better term, burden, onto three or four writers like grant morrison came up with 16 bazillion concepts and that was handed to other writers who had to who followed what he had written and did you know did their own things but you know the 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 uh the adam book that came out that gail simone wrote right that was a morrison concept Mm mm-hmm and Johns was so heavily involved in planning out Superman and, and you know and the JSA and it seems like by having everything so connected that you're not giving the readership breathing space because the great thing about comics to me and always has been is even when I was buying 16 bazillion titles a month I mean, there was a time in 98, 99, where if they were a member of the Justice League of America, I was buying their title. Right. Or titles, in the case of Superman and Batman. You know, even when I was doing that, I did that by choice. I did that because I wanted to follow it, because even though they were all connected by the JLA, they all had their own little stories going on that weren't really connected with each other. And that way, you know, when you got done reading the Superman books, you went over to the Batman books and saw what he was up to. And then you went over to Flash and and Green Lantern and all that. And now it seems that if you don't buy everything, you're missing out on something. Right. And the Superman book... and, and, And lately it seems like they've tried to split things off into camps again. But they keep trying to make families out of things. You know, as much as the JSA is a family, I don't think it needed two books. I think you should concentrate on one outstanding Justice Society book. Right. And stick with that. And if you're going to drop a bunch of the Superman books, make those two as the best they can be. And stop launching so many goddamn Batman books because it's not worth it. (laughs) There's Batman. There's Batman and Robin. There's Detective, which is still a Batman book. There's Batman, uh, what is that, Gotham Streets, 
Yeah, something like that. What is that called? And then Gotham City Sirens. Two of those books are three ninety nine. Mm-hmm. So that's eight dollars added to nine dollars. That's seventeen dollars right there. Add it to the five Superman books. Or the four Superman related books coming out right now. That's another seventeen dollars or so. Nine and th- oh, sorry, uh, thirteen dollars. So that's thirty bucks right there, just on two characters. Right. Why not just tell great stories in two titles, and give your readers and give your readers incentive to buy other books if you're going to charge two ninety nine and three ninety nine. And thank God they're restructuring this co feature thing because that was just a colossal waste of time. <laughs> I don't know if you... Okay. We're going to get off that because we're heading off... Yeah, I was just thinking that same thing. (laughs) That's going to lead us to swearing more because Scott and I are not happy with comics. That's why we do podcasts about old comics. (laughs) It's not that we want to be positive. We just don't want to be angry all the time. Uh, God, I I, I hope people are like, God, would you shut up and talk about the JSA already? Um, Uh, Our first bit is we have three more stories to go through uh, from All-Star Comics number three, uh, looking at the very first appearance of the Justice Society. Uh, But just to tell you right now, pretty much after that, and, and it's all me, folks, I'm liking doing this, but... It's not a feature that I think is going to continue on beyond All-Star number three. Right. And and that's on me, so if you want to blame somebody, it's all me. It's not Scott telling me to shut up or anything, because God knows he does that enough about other things. <laughs> but, uh, but I thought it was just fun to look back. But we've got some other things that we kind of want to do with the show, mm-hmm. some other features we want to bring in. So unless there's like a huge demand for it. <laughs> Uh, I get the feeling that most of, of the listeners, uh, you know, and I could be dead wrong about this, but based on the feedback we, we've had, I think most of the listeners are, are really on board with our original concept, which was we purposely jumped in right here at All Star yeah. 58, you know, where the team came back because this was the era going forward that we wanted to concentrate on. We want to acknowledge. You know the the stuff that has come before with the golden age and all that, but you know neither you or I are real enthusiastic about the golden age material. So, yeah. But we've had some fun. We're going to have some fun with this one because uh, Doctor Fate is very happy to see us through most of it. <laughs> That's right. He's sporting wood. I forgot about that. But, but this is the Doctor Fate story. It's written by Gardner Fox and with art by Howard Sherman. Fate begins saying, "As you know, I am not human." I was never a child. I had no youth. The Elder Gods created me just as I am now and placed me here on Earth to fight evil sorcery. (laughs) And then he makes kind of a misogynistic comment. I'm here. I'm going to tell you one of my strangest adventures. It all happened as a result of a woman's curiosity. So basically, right off the bat, Dr. Fate is telling us it's all a woman's fault. (laughs) Isn't it always, though? Uh, he begins by talking about his Earth companion, Inzen, uh, whatever her last name is. It changed like 15 billion times. She wants to buy a lamp from an antique shop, but this mysterious woman pops into frame and says, you need to buy this box instead. And she tries to buy the box, but the dealer's like, that's not mine. Just take it. Get out if you're not going to buy the lamp, you freeloader. <laughs> 
At home, Inza opens the box and is knocked unconscious by a strange dust. And the woman from before appears, kind of phantom-like, and tells her to bring Dr. Fate to the moors along the coast. She runs to Dr. Fate's... uh, Tower. That's what they call it. Why couldn't I remember that? She runs to Fate's Tower, uh, which I don't know if it's located... Yeah, it's it's located in Salem, Massachusetts. Salem Center, yeah. And they travel to the Moors, comment, and Fate comments on her weird perfume, and at the at the Moors, they are attacked by dead phantoms. As opposed to all those living... I was just thinking that very thing. <laughs> Unless it's the ghost who walks, in which case it might be cool to see Dr. Fate team up with the Phantom. But, uh, so Fate takes them all down, and once they return to her apartment, Fate realizes that all of this was a trap set by a wizard who seeks to destroy them. Inza is attacked again, and Fate puts her to sleep in order to keep her safe, which is just kind of creepy. Especially since he's shooting lightning bolts into her eyes. That that can't be good for her. (laughs) Um... God, he looks like he is very excited throughout this entire thing. <laughs> How the hell do you draw that and not think, you know what, that looks like a penis? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's through the entire freaking issue, even when he's flying. <laughs> Bad enough, he looks like he's wearing adult diapers in most of the Golden Age stories. Heading back to the antique shop, Fate is attacked again, but once more defeats the sorcerer's attempt on his life. He tracks the wizard down, and after getting through the first defenses, the wizard brings about the three rich witches of Endor. Where are the Ewoks? I was waiting for the Star Wars joke. <laughs> It'd be really funny if they all started going, no. <laughs> <laughs> They fight some more, and finally Fate defeats him, but not before learning that he thought that if he defeated Fate, he would be invincible. And this is Fate's Fate's explanation. He came across an ancient book that explained how the dead could be restored to life by searching them out in the human brain cells that contain a record of everything that has happened on Earth. That's what all those things you and I saw were. Figments of his mind that could be overcome by a stronger mind. So basically, this was all a really big waste of time. (laughs) This wizard just wanted to take Dr. Fate out, and he did it with figments of their imagination. And overall, I hope this isn't what all of the Dr. Fate stories were like. And if it is, I kind of understand why his feature didn't last too long. (laughs) I mean, it's it's a great costume. You know, it's... There's just really nothing to sink my teeth into here. Especially, you know, when right away he says, you know, I'm not human, I was never a child. I'm sorry, I like to kind of relate to the characters I read about. And and, and it seems like he was dropped here whole cloth. Now, a lot of that was changed, of course, later with retconning upon retconning. But uh, not the biggest fan of this, even with the erectile (laughs) not challenged. I guess that would be the opposite of what he is. The secret to Dr. Fate's, uh, what is the name of that pill that Bob takes? Oh, Cialis or whatever? Yes. <laughs> the secret to Dr. Fate's power is Cialis. Bob takes it. Why not him? There, there needs to be a, one of those disclaimers on this. You know, please consult a physician for an erection lasting more than six pages or something. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, Jesus, man. You know, put some pants on. 
dude, chill. It's okay. All right, here's my problem with this. I mean, besides the wonky R, I don't like magic stories to begin with because it it doesn't matter if it's Dr. Fate or if it's Harry Potter. I hate stories where the hero is a magician or magic-based or whatever, and they get boxed into a corner and they're about to die or whatever, and then all of a sudden they're, they're like, oh, I forgot about the asshole of Wamatum, and you know they pull that out and they're magically freed from this. And it's like, what the fuck? You know, it just comes off as such a MacGuffin, and I hate that shit. So that's why I really don't care for magic stories at all. But uh, all right, I can buy unicorns and I can buy the three witches of Endor and all this other goofy shit that happens in this story but I'm pretty fucking sure that there's no octopi in the Nile (laughs) yes that's right in the antique shop he's attacked by an octopus from the Nile I could be wrong I never been to the Nile but I'm pretty sure there's no octopi in it so I I think it just shows you uh, it's one of the best and one of the worst parts about reading Golden Age stories is that, hey, they were just making this up as they went along. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, hey, they were were just making this up as they went along. Yep. (laughs) Now, I do like this uh, right toward the end of the story where he's literally using his hand and he's got like a flamethrower coming out of it. Why doesn't he do this more often? That's cool. I mean, if if he could actually do the whole human torch thing and blast a, a, a you know a pillar of flame out of his hand, why didn't he do that more often? I, I think I think you answered your own question earlier. It's 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 what goes to the heart of uh, I'm not a big fan uh, of magic stories. I don't hate them, uh, but I can never get into characters like Doctor Strange, for example, right. simply because. And this is just me and my sensibilities in fiction. Uh, I, I like things kind of centered in the real world or grounded. Right. And then that makes the fantastical stuff all the more fantastical. Right. When you throw a character into a completely magical realm, I don't have really... It's, 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 it's one of the reasons why, to a certain extent, I've never really gotten into the Legion or hardcore science fiction of that type where you're thrown into a complete other world because I have nothing that I can grab onto... For me to go, oh, okay, this is why I can get into this. It's it's nothing against those stories, especially the Legion, which I think is a very well written title. Sometimes, especially the 1989 Five Years Later series, which was absolutely awesome. Mm-hmm. But I like things kind of set, not so much in the here and now, but in the here and now, where it's like, okay, they're using phones. I can understand. <laughs> sounds bad but you know it's set in a city that that i can kind of yes i can be in a city i can't really imagine myself in a, in, a, in the far future or in the hoary hosts of hoggoth <laughs> or anything like that and like you said stories like this where it's just basically hey i the writer's like i uh, put him in a corner okay he just does this where is the drama in that when I know in the end he's just going to win because he's going to pull something out of his helmet? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I agree. I, I, you know, there's – yeah, you, you just nailed it why I don't like magic stories because at least when you, when you go into something like, say, a, a Superman story – you know, you go into Superman's story, okay, you know, he, he flies, he's got super breath, he's got heat vision, he's got this, that, and the other. These are his powers. This is the establishment of, of his, 
you know, of his powers and his how he operates. So you, you have something to go with as you go into the story. You know that, you know, when Superman toward the end of the story gets trapped in a room made of kryptonite, that he's not going to use, you know, the the eye of Agamotto to get out of the fucking thing. You know that that he's he's got a set established set of powers, and that's it. You know, he's got to use what he's already bringing in to the story to, to solve his way out of his situation. And that doesn't work with magical people, magical characters like a Doctor Strange or a Doctor Fate. These guys can always, always pull something out of their ass that you never heard of before. <laughs> and it's perfectly accepted in their stories. But I always call bullshit. I'm like, well, come on, you know, where's the mystery? Where's the where's the suspense or whatever? If he can just magically pull some rabbit you know, MacGuffin out of his hat every time to get out of the situation. To me, there's no fun or mystery or suspense or anything to a story like that when they can always just pull something out at the last minute. It, it, it just destroys any sort of enjoyment I have of stories like that. And again, that goes for any magical-based story. I, I pretty much hate them all across the board. I just don't get into them. I didn't know you didn't like Harry Potter for some reason. Eh, into Harry Potter. I mean, I saw the first one and thought it was okay. But again, even that one had the same thing. You know, it had the same thing where they would get into situations that you thought, oh, I wonder how he's going to get out of this. And, you know, they'd find a fucking flying key or something. And I'm like, what the hell is <laughs> What? A bunch of flying keys? Really? I was like, Jesus, that's just stupid. You know? <laughs> So I mean, you know, God, be- you know, if you love Harry Potter, God bless you. You know, you, you, you know, I, I'm not down on you. If if that's your thing, you know, that's cool. But you know, I like a guy that flies around in his underpants. You know, who am I to to you know criticize what anybody else likes? But Jesus, you know, I mean, at least you don't see Superman. You know, I've, I've got to defeat this giant robot. Oh, I know. I've you know, I can use you know power X that you never fucking heard of before that you'll never see again in this one story to defeat the guy. And I hate that shit. You know, it's as bad as like Batman having a sardine in his utility belt the one time he meets a a, a sea lion or whatever in that one. Sorry. <laughs> It's a plot convenience yeah, and it, nothing more. Exactly. All right. Well, at least we know that Endor was was producing something other than Ewoks. <laughs> I'm kind of glad to, to to hear that, though. Uh, though they weren't hairy, so there's a continuity glitch. I think they're from the Endor from the Star Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> there's nothing in that except the Boba Fett cartoon made a goddamn bit of sense. So, <laughs> Anyways, moving on to All Star Comics number sixty four, the main feature. Mm-hmm. Though, though, from some of the, the some of the emails, I get the sense that the ads are the main. Yeah, feature. I, I, the hostess ads are the main feature of the show. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this one is from cover date January February nineteen seventy seven because it was a bi monthly book. Uh, it was written by Paul Levitz with art. All by himself, uh, Wally Wood, and it was edited by Joe Orlando. The roll call, because they actually bothered to put it in this issue, <laughs> is... I'm they sorry. left that out. I don't understand it. So, I don't know why. <laughs> Every time I hear the name Joe Orlando, I want to say, and Don. <laughs> <laughs> Tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. It's... I don't know. Stop now. Anyways, the roll call for this is uh, Dawn. No, just kidding. Is Flash, 
Green Lantern, Hawkman, Our Man, Power Girl, and the, the Star Spangled Kid, and Superman. Mm-hmm. Story opens with Star Spangled Kid showing off his new Cosmic Converter Belt, which he has made based on the designs of the Cosmic Rod. And uh, in my personal opinion, they uh, they got rid of the rod so that it didn't look like he was carrying around something that you would buy at a uh, adult novelty store. <laughs> Um, while Superman, Power Girl, and Hour Man tell him how wonderful he is. <laughs> they are really kissing his ass. Oh, I don't know. I, I, if you don't mind my injecting one of my notes on this, uh, sure. I took exception to actually Superman. The first the first line of the whole book is Superman's going, incredible, I never thought you could do it. And, you know, Jesus, if I was a, a lower-tier superhero and Superman tells me I never thought you could do it, I'd take it personal. I'd be like, well, fuck you, Superman. I'm smart. <laughs> The kid tries to give Power Girl a symbol for her chest, but because it just (laughs) looks like a Superman symbol with a P inside of it, she crushes it in her hand and calls him a little chauvinist piglet. Because, you know, why should she, you know, she's made it clear. She's not like her cousin. At which point Superman goes, look, you've proved yourself. Stop fighting. You're in. You're good. And they have another touching moment. They have like 16 of these touching moments. <laughs> this is all these characters have when they're not arguing or fighting. It's it's Superman validating Power Girl's feelings and Power Girl going, aw. Superman says, screw you guys, I'm going home. That's not what he said, that's <laughs> what I heard. Farewell, friends. Tell the team that went to Egypt, I'm sorry I met them. I'd have liked to have seen The Flash. And The Flash runs in with Green Lantern and the Shining Knight in tow. Mm-hmm. This was the mysterious character that we saw in Egypt and then flying over the sands on a winged horse. Shining Knight, who br- it brings news that reality itself is in peril. Green Lantern and Superman get to get to deliver the odd comment of the issue. We've pointed this out in the past that it's the one time in the issue where all the other characters look at each other and go, what the fuck are they talking about? It never ends, Superman says. No sooner do we stop one lunatic from wrecking, wrecking the world than another rises out of obscurity. And then Green Lantern, ever the, you know, the, the, the guy that wants to bring the room up, says, sort of makes you wonder if it's worth it, especially when all you get is a chance to be killed. <laughs> God damn it, I hate this group. <laughs> Shining, that's got to be Shining Knight's thoughts. It's like, wow, uh, are you guys going to help me or not? But So the knight explains that history itself is being changed, which Superman scoffs at, since, you know, he's tried to change history and couldn't do it. It just it just can't be yeah, done. he comes across as a real, uh, he really does keep coming across as a prick. He goes, well, I'm Superman, god damn it, and I, if I can't do it, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Ignoring this, the knight explains that Camelot is being attacked by the Roman Empire, who should not even exist in Britain at that point. Merlin summoned the knight, and the Flash says that he was just that he is just the thing to get them to the past. Basically, uh, he stole some of the Barry Allen Flash's technology and creates a time vortex. That's a little convenient. And suggests that with his scientific background, our man should remain behind to watch the controls, <laughs> which causes more whining. In other words, you're leaving me behind. Maybe I should just retire again. You could replace me with a cigar store Indian. I'd love it if one of them said, hey, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> they bring in a cigar store Indian with the our man costume on. <laughs> oh, that would be great. 
Um, just when everyone else is getting ready to head out, it is Green, Green Lantern's turn to go, say, screw you guys, I'm going home, and leaves to go handle personal business. So basically, Green Lantern, time itself is in peril. Reality may unravel at any point, but you're worried about your job. Mm-hmm. Nice to see that your priorities are, are, are there. This becomes the a trend, by the way. I, I will continue to point this out. It, it seems like almost every issue from here on out, there's one hero that says, you know, I got better shit to do right now and takes off. So this will come up again. The heroes enter the time portal, complete with a change of costume for now. Though I, I, I kind of like Superman's medieval costume. That's kind of neat, except for the, the helmet, which just looks kind of out of place. But I love the fact that he has the big S shield. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. And they run across the Dark Knight of Arcan, which I guess is better than running across a print of the Dark Knight, which would cause Scott to light it on fire. <laughs> uh, the, the, night, the knight demands a toll... And Superman says, oh, hell no. And not only does he take out the knight, but a a bunch of the other knights as well. One of them tries to be chivalrous towards Power Girl, who throws the guy into a lake for his troubles. Back in the present, Our Man notices that the alarm device is suddenly covered in ice, which can only mean the icicle. The villain freezes Our Man, once again calling him the weak link. Back in the past, the heroes arrive at Camelot, and they are granted an audience with King Arthur, complete in their original costumes, which apparently they just changed out of. Either that or the artist just completely forgot that he had been drawing them in a medieval outfit. (laughs) I don't know. Seems like an editor should have picked up on that. There's general talk of the fate of reality and all that, and the heroes helping out. They head off to take on the Romans, while Merlin and Arthur go behind where they had met the heroes to watch all of this from a futuristic big-screen television, letting you know something is not right. Superman and Power Girl realize they are fighting robots, and everyone hauls ass back to Camelot. Back in the present, Alan Scott is told that he must come up with a half a million dollars, which he owes, or they will foreclose on his GBS stock. Alan discusses this with his secretary until he snaps at her, and she storms out. Back in the present, the heroes storm Camelot and fight through some wicked defenses before reaching Merlin and Arthur. One by one, they are taken out until Arthur reveals himself to be none other than Vandal Savage, who is still still sore about the Flashes, stealing his immortality. There is even an editor's note to let you know where that happened. Once again, as we will probably say a thousand times... I miss editor's editor's notes. (laughs) (laughs) And basically, I mean, it's pretty... I mean, let's face it. No, it was in 235. That was a rather recent issue to this. So that meant go find issue 235 so you'll know what the hell is going on. Uh And basically says that if Superman doesn't follow him into a far distant world, he will surrender, and uh, where Superman will surrender his life, something bad will happen to his friends. And next time, the world that wanted Superman's life, the Flash, fights alone. Power Girl or Powerless Corpse? Not to mention the master plan of Vandal Savage. On sale December 30th, and not a minute too soon. <laughs> and that's that, That's pretty much it. Um, I like the splash page uh, by Wally Wood. Superman and everyone looks really cool. Which uh, which splash page are you talking about? The, the, the first oh, The opening, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like the converter belt, but page two... <sighs> This is what I I think I I talk about when I say I get annoyed at Power Girl 
having like a gigantic chip on her shoulder about proving herself to be just as good as any man. I mean, I've known women like this in my life. I've been friends with women like this. They always annoyed the piss out of me when they start going on a rant. You know, he's just, he, he made you a symbol. He thought you would like it. It wasn't that he was trying to pin some misogynistic symbol on you. It's not like he, <laughs> it's not like he handed you a symbol that stood for barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen making me a sandwich. All right, I'm going to get really sexist for a minute, but I have a point to this, so so, so bear okay. with me. Do you th- Alrighty. All right. She's really cute. She's got big tits. She's got a skin-tight outfit. She stands around in all kinds of sexy poses all the time. Do you think mm-hmm. that makes it worse that she acts like such a such a bitch to everybody and, 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 and has the whole women's lib thing going? Would it be different if she was, like, hideous or something? I, I just I wonder about that because, to me, it makes it that much worse when a woman acts this way, you know? It's like she's using her sex to to get her way with these guys. You know, she's turning them all on and everything, but then she acts like such a goddamn bitch to everybody. Well, you know, on one hand, I agree with you, but on the other hand, this was all written and drawn by men. Mm. So it's not exactly like it was a woman's decision to do it. Right. If that makes any sense, but... On the whole, I mean, it, it, it was it was presented in this to make Power Girl. It was her character, because DC, even in 1976, 1977, they were still not quite there with well-rounded characterization. You know, it wasn't like the cookie cutter Justice League of the early issues of that title, where really you could put anyone's dialogue in any other hero's mouth and it would make sense right as long as they weren't referring to what the hero was doing and you know in the 70s is when that kind of marvel characterization came in but they were still doing it in that early marvel style where yeah ben Grimm, johnny storm's a hothead but that's all johnny storm is. right <laughs> so it's the same thing here with power girl is that She's she's a liberated woman, and that's all she is. And I really want to know what women these men knew in their lives. Because <laughs> are they basing it on anybody in particular, or is this their perception of what a liberated woman is like? Well, it's funny that at this exact moment in time, this is when Jeanette Kahn comes on the scene. Yep. You know that. Yes, it is. And and also, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong in my DC history, but um, so far we have not pointed out the fact that Power Girl's costume changed just slightly beginning with this issue. The hole that was in the front yes. of her uniform that you know allowed you to see so much of her cleavage is now filled in. So she has a solid white leotard. You know, it doesn't have any legs in it, but the rest of it's solid. There's no hole. I believe that that was a mandate from Jeanette Kahn, if I'm not mistaken. I've heard the same story. So, and, and it makes sense. I mean, she would look at it and go cover that up. I mean, right. the, 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 the only reason it was there was to titillate young boys <laughs> and young girls that are attracted to girls. I mean, right. I'm sure that was. Well, they how, were back in our day anyway. <laughs> um. I don't like the look of the Shining Knight in this issue. You know, I'm glad you say that because I was under the impression that he always looked the the way that I remember him to look with the, with the gold uniform, you know? Mm-hmm. 
and I don't remember this very. This reminds me more of uh, who's that character? Silent Night, I think, is his name. A little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he has the except without the helmet. Yeah, you know, I back exactly from the early Brave and the Bold issues. Whoever, mm-hmm. whoever that other knight character was, that's who he more reminds me of. So when when does he get the gold uniform? I think the uniform, as we come to really know it, was was brought in during All Stars. Ah, okay. Because that's where I am most familiar with the shiny. Me too. Characters. Yeah, it, it is the All Star Squadron and on uh, Justice League Unlimited. Yes, where I thought he was used to good effect. Uh, especially when he was watching Clint Eastwood movies with the vigilante. <laughs> they always got that there was a little more to their relationship than met the eye, but that's just me reading. Oh, that. don't say that. <laughs> don't, don't, don't piss on my childhood, dude. I like both those characters. I'm not saying that they were gay then. I'm saying they're gay now. Oh, that's worse <laughs> that they found I'm each not other. I don't at all. Know. I'm just giving you shit at this. Yeah, point. we're gonna get letters um, one way or the other. We're bound, determined to get letters. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but no, yeah, I agree you with you. don't like gay I, people. I well, we like gay people. Oh, so you like gay people, so you're gay. No, it's just, oh, so it's wrong to be gay? No, it's just, you can't, oh, you can't, can't win, win that argument no, at you all. You can't, you can't. I thought it was an honest-to-God twist that Green Lantern just up and left. Well, it does play out. At least it plays out, because some of these don't exactly play out very well because there's there's one coming up that that i'll point out in a in a in an issue um coming down the road where another character pulls this same shit well you guys do that and i'm gonna split and he goes and we see the mission that he goes off on and it's bullshit it doesn't really do anything (laughs) at all to forward the story or anything and you're like now what the hell was the purpose of that that shit that you just did was more important than saving the freaking world or whatever your your teammates were going to do so yeah this really does become something of a habit where everybody else is going to do something but there's one dude that's like no i got i gotta go do this and it's it, it 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 only jumped out to me because it seems to happen almost every issue <laughs> uh, our man needs to stop whining and like right for oh people. my god that's one of my biggest notes here I've got our man <laughs> stop whining god damn it <laughs> he does and I like our man but Jesus he's I mean that issue where or, yeah issue that panel rather where you read what he said about the cigar story he looks like he's going to cry He's got his head all down like, nobody likes me. I got a bath towel on my head. Jesus Christ, you're our man. You can, like, take a pill and throw cars around. Stop fucking crying. We have, like, 16 ideas for a series. Oh, I know it. Based on last episode. I'm telling you, we should pitch that shit to DC, man. It's better than anything else they're putting out right now. Oh, did I say that? You shouldn't include that in the pitch. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Straight in the circular file right there. No, it's the it's the t- it's the file with teeth that shreds it into little fine powder. <laughs> now this, um, this machine oh. that they whip up to go back in time, you know, holy shit, you know that's pretty fucking nifty. They can go back in time. It changes their clothes and translates their speech pattern. <laughs> All right, which which it kind of doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, plus it, which, it changes their clothes for like the next three or four pages but then by the time they meet up with king arthur and merlin they're back in their regular clothes again it's like what the hell well you know let's see where is that line that i'm looking for 
I do not understand all you say, strange one, but I feel thine insolence. It's just like I thought you were translating. <laughs> all righty. I mean, it, 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 I, you know, I don't think we would complain about it if it didn't stand out. You know, if it was like a minor thing, it would be like, oh, I can let it go. But the fact that the costumes just disappear. Yeah. I mean, I like the time travel aspect of the story. Yeah, I, I do. really do. Because yeah. that's kind of an old school JSA thing where they would just, hey, we're on a JSA mi- mission. Let's go to the year 1600. See what's going on there. But I, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's because I'm not a big Arthurian guy. Right, yeah. I mean, I appreciate the legend and I, and I love the movie Excalibur. Because. I grew up in that time where Excalibur was like badass and stuff like that. But I'm just, uh, I, I th- this was a good issue that, and, and it's this way for a couple more uh, down the line, where it's a good issue, but the main plot isn't what I like about it. It's other little ancillary right. things mm-hmm. that have me going. I mean, and it is, you know, the incredible changing costumes bothered me. I'm sorry, for some reason. And it's literally, they go down a page. They're standing outside Camelot. They're all in their armor. They go inside Camelot. Suddenly, they're in their old costumes. Except for Shining Knight. Though it would have been kind of funny if he was in, like, a modern knight costume. That would be great. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny that you say... You know, it's not really so much the stories; it's the, it's the ancillary things that happen that make you like this. Because I think that sums up a lot of of my whole experience with All Star. You know, this All Star comics, and then even when it goes into uh, Adventure Comics, you know, the run itself. It's not terribly spectacular as far as like the people they fight and the events that go on it's really about the character moments and and the art and the things that that happen around them not really so much the story because this thing with where this goes with vandal savage and all that man it i think it's okay at best but i I like the moments that happen you know you, you had commented on superman in his in his knightly garb you know with the big shield and all that and uh I'm trying to remember. There was an Elseworld story a couple years ago. Something like, Cal. yeah, I, I was thinking that was it. Yeah, didn't he look pretty much like that in in that story? Kind of. Yeah, I mean, and it was Eduardo Barreto art, so it was freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it was kind of like that. I mean, I like alternate versions of the Justice League's costumes. Oh yeah. At, at Dragon Con this year, I went by one of the people, one of the leather shops, basically. And what they did is they made kind of Renaissance-style leather vests, but it was Superman, it was Batman, it was Green Lantern, it was Flash. And I was like, that's neat. How much is this? That's $600. (laughs) That's going right back on that rack. (laughs) But uh, I like that, but it's just, maybe Wally Wood just got sick of drawing it. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, the art in this issue is very good. The fight that they have later in the issue with the with the Romans that turn out to be robots. Superman looks like a golden age Superman. Oh yeah, very much so. He's 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 got that kind of classic style and I really, really dig that. Oh the the page where he just stands and lets the black knight uh, oh, yeah. run right into him with his with his jousting whatever the hell that thing's called. I love that. Yeah, it's great. He he does very much look like uh like a Joe Schuster Superman drawing, it's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's, and that's such a and that's such a Golden Age Superman thing to do. Like, oh, you're going to talk tough to me? 
Okay, Hotch. Right. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, he's he's much cockier than than the Superman that we would come to know. Even the, you know, the Superman that was appearing in you know the Earth One continuity of the time. You know, he wasn't cocky like this. This this guy definitely owes back to the original uh, Golden Age style. You know, the the Siegel and Schuster style Superman, where he was very no, cocky it, about his powers. Oh, very. Yes, indeed. Uh, Alan Scott, this is more Marvel style drama. And when I say that, I, I don't mean that they're foreclosing on his stock options, and he, and, you know, he has to come up with that with 500k uh, by the end of the day, or or, or he's going to be out of a out of a <laughs> out of all out of a job, basically. But the thing with his secretary, there was something in here that made me think that she knew he was Green Lantern, but I guess I was wrong about that. <laughs> Oh, uh, here, here it is. It's this bit of dialogue. You can't. Uh, Alan's talking to his secretary. He says, "You can't say you've been out saving the world. Even that isn't good enough." So, does she know he's Greenland? I, I'm. I guess so. I, I, I have to admit, I'm not familiar enough with with Green Lantern during this period, or or even exactly who this secretary is to uh, to know for sure. But what I what I really like is the next panel. Yeah, <laughs> she says. Now she's standing boobs to eyeballs with Alan Scott, and she says, "Now maybe it's just the old perv in me that's reading it this way." But she's saying, "I'm sorry, Alan. If there's anything I can," and he's like, "Can you spare a half?" And he pisses her off because he basically blows her off. But I like to think that she's actually offering him some sexual services here. It's just the way it reads <laughs> and the way it looks. Like, you know, she's offering to kind of you know soothe his. Uh, well, she's putting the girls right in his face. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> and he's he's keeping eye level. He's doing what I do in situations like this. Since I'm a short guy, <laughs> sometimes I have to sit there and talk to women that are taller, and sometimes I'm like eye level with boobs. And it's just like, look at the face, look at the face. Look down, look at the face. Look at the face. <laughs> <laughs> Sneak a quick glance, look back. But it's kind of funny because in that panel, he looks like a C.C. Beck drawing. Yes, he does. And in the next one, he looks like a romance comic. <laughs> it's really weird. It's really erratic. Well, I don't, I don't know what was up with Wally Wood in this issue, but man, she just storms out. Yeah. And he's just like, I blew that. <laughs> that, oh, I could have handled that a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have as a note that something about this story bugs me and I can't put on my finger why, but I, th- I, I think I figured it out that it's, it's exciting. There's a lot going on. I like Vandal Savage as a villain. But this just isn't, like, the best Vandal Savage story I've ever read. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just... I don't know. It, it, it's kind of hard to put my finger on. Because uh, it wasn't a bad reading experience. I didn't get to the end. I was like, well, this sucks, and threw it across the room. <laughs> Especially can't do that now, because this book's, like, 30 years old now right. and would probably fall <laughs> apart. Uh, and I like to keep my... Um, I like to keep my books in at least good condition. <laughs> Which is why I put them in bags. Uh, no boards, because I don't have the room. I don't. <laughs> you were just all quiet. Oh, for I'm sorry. I, was, I didn't want to interrupt. <laughs> did, did I did I piss off Scott's anal retentive comic collector button? Like, I was shocked and horrified board? into silence because you don't put <laughs> boards in your comics. No, I, I didn't know how to respond to that. <laughs> Let me think. What else have I got on this? Oh, well, I had two other quick notes on this one. Going way back to uh, our man pissing and moaning because they're leaving him behind like a cigar store Indian. I love Superman says, 
this is no time to let your feelings interfere, our man. I waive my resignation, uh, or my yeah, my resignation for the duration. And uh, this case may require all of our. And he, and he gets interrupted by Green Lantern. Now I'm thinking, well, that's very easy for you to say, there, Super Dick. You just bullied your way onto the mission. <laughs> he, t- he tells in one breath he tells our man both to stop pissing and moaning about being left behind and then he says oh by the way well i'm gonna go it's like what the hell <laughs> so, so you're saying that in this situation we talked about star trek the motion picture that that superman is admiral kirk <laughs> and, and our man is captain decker is that what you're saying that's a perfect analogy absolutely <laughs> okay very good <laughs> All right, and much much like your silly uh, Doctor Fate story from earlier, where I said I could buy you know unicorns and all that. All right, again with this story, okay, you know there's a, I, I love Golden and Silver Age stories, I really really do, but it seems like there's almost always like one element that's just beyond my credibility level. Okay, with this one. <laughs> I can buy that they've gone back in time to Camelot. I can buy that there's fucking robots in Camelot and giant screen TVs. What the hell is with the flying crossbows? That's just... Oh, my God. That's your bridge too far. Yeah, it is is definitely a bridge too far. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) It's made up for, though, by the awesome picture on the next page of Superman smashing through that castle wall. Oh, yeah. It reminds me of one of those Fleischer cartoons. That's just beautiful art. I really like that. You know, my my, uh, my nitpick is, is how he was able to get the Flash. You know, I, I know that they justify it by saying steel gray eyes gleam with an ageless intelligence, <laughs> calculation born of countless battles. They judge not where the foe is, but where he will be. He's fucking super fast. <laughs> you shouldn't be able to see where... You could... <laughs> Even if you know where he's going to be, right? Once you line up the shot, he's not there anymore, right? Now this, yeah, this isn't somebody who's just simply a little bit faster than a regular person, like fucking Steve Austin or something. This is a guy yeah. who, in the very next issue, is going to run through time. So you know, he's pretty <laughs> fucking fast. I think that you know he can defeat somebody. You know, trying to predict where he's going to be with a. And what does he even shoot him with? Is it a bullet or a ray gun or? It's like a ray gun. You know, it's looks like a Luger ray gun. Actually, it looks like a little like Han Solo's. <laughs> he shoots him with his Han Solo or... laser pistol. Yeah. Well, you know, when we do the George Lucas version of this, uh, you know, Flash is going to shoot first. Oh, so. don't even. Oh, don't start with me. <laughs> <laughs> don't wind me up. <laughs> Because I may just pop. <laughs> there is a, there's an interesting thing in the in the letter section um, that, uh, that I had a note on. It says, before we begin sampling your comments on number 62, we'd like to say a few things ourselves. First of all, we're proud of the team effort that produced this issue. Paul and Wally worked out, worked out the plot together, and then Wally did pencil breakdowns. Paul supplied the dialogue, and the unique Wally Wood inks finished it up. This is going to remain the regular order of business for All-Star as long as we can arrange it. Translation until the next issue. (laughs) And we hope you're as pleased about it as we are. As for the great JSA Super Squad debate, we've settled in our mind on calling the characters who appear in this magazine the All-Star Super Squad. Some of them are JSA members. Others might fit under the definition of Super Squad that Power Girl first used in number 58, and others are just guest stars. But that blanket group name covers them all okay. 
And what interested me about this is we're going to find out in the next couple of issues, both of these are swept under the rug really quick. Yep. <laughs> um, which I'm glad about because, you know, we've talked a lot about the fact that we don't like the name Super Squad. Uh, you're a little more positive towards it than I am, I guess, because of nostalgia and stuff. But I've, I've never liked it. No, I'm not crazy about it. The only, the only reason I, I was a little more accepting about it, I think, is because it's right there on the cover of uh, – of number 58 and I've just always loved that that cover and that issue in particular and all that but yeah I'm just as happy that it goes away here within I think it's two issues from now that it's that it's pretty much gone forever I believe this one had a great cover to it speaking of covers I really like I, it's a great cover in that well even on the cover uh, Sir Justin is is dressed differently that's very bizarre yeah he's in the classic outfit uh, yeah. yeah red and gold yeah but I just it, it's just great you got Superman in the middle just beating people down Power Girl's about to deliver the Smackdown the Flash is just taking out a bunch of guys Hawkman's coming in it's just a really neat piece of art and this was like this was literally when I was looking through back issues back around 1996 this was literally the first issue of all-star comics i ever saw oh wow and i, I always was taken because superman is like right <laughs> you put superman on the front and center of anything i'm gonna it's gonna get my attention well if you'll notice <laughs> that both the picture on the cover and the the little tiny picture up in the top with power girl the circle is there but it's colored yes. in white. Oh, yeah, you're right. I never noticed that. Well, that one from Power Girl, I think, is taken almost directly from the first Number issue. Number 58, yeah. In. Well, on the cover of the, so. of the next issue, on the cover of 59, it's all white and the circle's not even there. So this, the circle's actually been uh, been removed. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting editorial thing. I never noticed mm-hmm. that before. Who did the... Wally Wood did this one all by himself, yep. so... All righty, sir. Why don't you you start us on the ads then? Unless you have oh any sure. No, I, let me see. I on think it. that's yeah. I think that's pretty much it on my yeah. That's everything on my notes. Yeah, there's some uh, there's some good ads in this one. Uh, the one on the inside front cover is another one of those you know bodybuilding ones again. You know, who are they pitching to? We go along. Uh, you know, save the hostess ad. Oh, of course. Okay, we always like the, to do that last. The hostess. Somebody somewhere is going, God damn it, get to the hostess ad. All right. There's one of those uh, house ads, really nice one for uh, all the, the DC mystery books like Ghosts mm-hmm. and House of Mystery and all that. And I think this is Neil Adams, if I'm not mistaken. It's either Neil Adams or Mike Kaluta. I'm not really sure. It's pretty cool, though. It's all the uh, like the creatures of the night looking at. Uh, is that Abnegazer, Wraith, and Gast in the? Oh, it may be. Is that just just supposed to be demons? I, I don't know. It may be them. Yeah, it's pretty but cool, yeah, though. the the one thing going forward, and I was thinking about this the other day that about six or seven issues into All Star Squadron, we're not going to have the hostess ad anymore. because they stopped doing it, and I started trying to think beyond that, you know, what are we going to talk about in the ads? And then I realized, especially starting here, DC had some great house ads. Oh, yeah. Well, the, you know, they'll, uh, so they'll still be... have lots to yeah, talk about. Yeah, they'll still be Daily Planets, and I'm sure there'll be some silly ad that we can always poke some fun at. <laughs> no, but, but what I like about these ads more than anything, and I'm probably going to say this a thousand times, I'm going to try not to, is that it really makes me want to check out these books. Oh, Absolutely. And I you know they've done their job, and I think I honestly think they should be commended for doing that, even though they're trying to sell me something. Because <laughs> if you do a good job of selling me something, I'm more likely to buy something from. Right. You. you know, so that's just me, though. 
Let's see. We got a Daisy ad. We've got a shooting the Daisy. Uh, well, this time oh, this with, is... a, with a missive from Dick Williams. <laughs> Ever Dick Williams? <laughs> oh, a LaSalle Extension University ad. Whatever the hell that is. Again, hippie, get a job. <laughs> we got an ad for Ravel. I guess. Oh, these are snap together kits. My dad would say that's for pussies. My dad builds models. He hates the snap-together kits, though. Got an ad for uh, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, one of those, I think this is one of those giant oversized ones, if I remember right. You know, like the like the limited collector's edition style. It's either that or it's a, uh, a tabloid size one. I'm not sure. It looks kind of cool, though. Yeah, it's got eight pages of puzzles and games, uh, <laughs> thereby immediately ruining the book. But <laughs> and Rudolph looks funny on that cover, though. He looks like a mouse with with a with a reindeer. <laughs> You're right. He does. He does look like a mouse. <laughs> it's like a scary, uh, skinny Jerry from Tom and Jerry cartoons. <laughs> then on the the next page, we've got an ad for the 13th issue of Amazing World of DC Comics and another calendar ad. Have we seen this calendar ad before? This one's really cool. Actually, I just noticed that it says in the. Uh, the ad for that 13th issue of uh, Amazing World of DC Comics that there's a Jonah Hex parody by Albano and uh, Dizaniga. i got to check that out. I don't think I have that issue. <laughs> I thought of you when I saw that. I was like, I wonder I wonder if Scott takes kindly to parodies. Oh, I, I would. You know, I mean, that's that's by you know, some of the original guys that worked on the character, so I'd probably get a big kick out of it. I'd, I'd like to see that because I don't think I have that particular issue. I'll have to try to track that down. We've got... Uh, Oh, a Star Trek poster magazine ad in here. That's kind of cool. Did you have that? No. No, I, I never had any of the Star Trek poster books. I had a couple of the Star Wars poster books. What else we got here? We got a bunch of just those little teeny tiny, you know, learn karate and all these different ads here. Now, this is the one I really like is the uh, Super Fashions. And we've got one that's... Uh, uh, super. It says Super Friends, although this isn't really tied to like the TV show, but it's Super Pajamas. Yes. I'm telling you, man, I would kill a busload of orphans to have any one of these. <laughs> these are really cool. They're all Neil Adams art, too. Yeah, it's beautiful. I really like the one, the last one of, uh, it's Billy Batson saying his magic word and then Captain Marvel's like flying away and, uh. Yeah, that's gorgeous. I forget where that image is from. I've seen that image somewhere else. Man, that's a beautiful, beautiful image. But yeah, you're right. I think that was part of a calendar. Could be. Yeah, it could be. I like that Batman and Robin one. Yeah, I've seen that one. I think I might have had a button that had that picture on it. I know I've seen it somewhere in a poster or a button or something, but yeah, all classic. You also have super sweatshirts, which are kind of neat. Yeah, I like those. Uh, they're really pushing Shazam throughout this oh, yeah. entire ad. Though. Well, the, the the show was on TV. That's right. I keep forgetting that. Yeah. You got the uh, they call them ski style hats here. Where I'm where I'm from, they call them toques. And that's uh, that's what they got here. Is uh, a toque? Yeah, got, that's a Canadian yeah, term. Isn't yeah, it, it is. <laughs> you got the Superman and Batman toques. You got belt buckles, or I guess it's actually the whole belt. You got the belts. You got Batman, Superman again, a Shazam belt. And then a Superman belt buckle. That's that's actually pretty cool. But I love those pajamas, man. Shit, I'd squeeze my fat ass into some of them. <laughs> those belts guaranteed to get you your ass kicked at school. <laughs> the kids would steal it off you and then whip you with it. All righty, we do have a Justice for All Includes Children. I, I love this one. <laughs> where we see Bruce Banner chasing a small child. <laughs> 
He does. He's got the purple pants. I didn't even catch that. Good catch, man. Excellent catch. As Superman comes landing down between the two of them. Help me, Superman. He's after me. I'm his father. I have a right to hit him. Does he? The law allows parents to use physical punishment, but does not allow parents to injure a child. Parents and children both have rights and duties to each other. If a family is having trouble, there are many places to go for help. Family counseling can be arranged through your local mental health agency, child welfare office, or juvenile court. Oh, yeah. What? Go, go to a child welfare office these days and say, I think I'm thinking of hitting my kid <laughs> and see, how, see where that shit gets you. <laughs> yeah, they'll solve that problem real quick. You won't have kids. <laughs> so 10 bucks says that the dad beat this kid's ass later that night. That That's my theory. <laughs> Jesus. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know. It's just... I've always been of the opinion that unless it's a dire, dire situation, you you kind of try to work it out amongst yourselves. I mean, don't get the authorities involved because you're having, like, a very basic family dispute. Right. We can't agree on what movie to go to. Let's go to the child welfare <laughs> office. Serious, we live in Georgia, and DFACs, uh, while they mess up a lot, usually in the county areas, they'll freaking take your kids away in our <laughs> <laughs> All right, that leaves the uh, the the hostess ad. Oh, this one's a humdinger too. It's it's another Batman one. You'll be Batman. I'd be Robin as usual. Okay, and I'll I'll be the. Uh, it looks like that dude that uh, that painted on people. <laughs> the, the happy trees, dude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But this is Batman in The Muse. The Muse, the Muse has been the accompanist at three rock concerts where the featured solo rock stars have mysteriously disappeared. Such heavenly music. No one on Earth has ever heard this kind of music before. Yuri, Robin, but this music almost sounds human. <laughs> that the Holy do-re-mi, do you think? That the Muse is somehow connected to the disappearance of rock singers Rick Jagger, Jim Colorado, and Elfish Hipsley? Precisely. No one knows but me that my synthesizer transforms people into musical notes. So I can have the best music, I get the best people. Muse, you're working too hard. Take a break. There's nothing I like better than making my own music from scratch. Except eating delicious Hostess cupcakes. With... And then the band comes back out with cream fillet. <laughs> <laughs> the chocolate flavor and the fudgy icing makes me feel like singing. Oh, and here's another break for you. And he smashes the uh, whatever the hell that thing is, the organ or whatever. An unlikely break for me, a lucky break for them. Holy Allegro, Batman. We have a stage full of wiggling talent. <laughs> and we sing the praises of Hostess Cupcakes Hot with cupcakes white and wiggles white and squiggles, squiggles on top. Squiggles on top. <laughs> you get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Cupcakes. Um, you know what's scary is that people do this now. They sample other artists and then use them in the music. So this this really isn't too far off. This story makes no fucking sense whatsoever. <laughs> not at, what not at all. What the hell are here. Batman and Robin doing at a rock concert? You know, somewhere some somebody's being raped and murdered in Gotham City while these assholes are sitting watching the, the three bottles you know, accompanied by the muse. I mean, I guess they're there because maybe they suspected the muse from the beginning. I, I don't I don't get it. You know, the, the, the art in this is by Kurt Swan, I believe. Mm-hmm. 
I've never really liked his Batman. No, I've never liked his Batman. It's it's just very stiff, and I guess that's you know, I guess that's coming from you know, it's like Carmine Infantino, Neil Adams, Frank Robbins, mm-hmm. um, Marshall Rogers, Irv Novick. These guys all had very dynamic styles, and and Swan, like I've always said, Swan does great. Like the piano looks great. And like the normal people look great, but Batman just doesn't look good for some reason. I, well, I can't quite. I think part of it is that it. he's got a smiling Batman. You know, he, he's the, about the last artist I would think of if I'm thinking, okay, I need somebody to do the Dark Knight, the Dread Avenger. You know, the, <laughs> you know, uh, oh Kurt Swan. No, it doesn't work. You know, he he's much more suited to. That kitty, almost an Archie-ish, you know, a, a rich, richest mm-hmm. kind of kind of style art, like he did for Superman for so many years. His style of art suited Superman just fine when Superman was in kind of a kitty phase, you know, aimed at the kids. I mean, whereas Batman at this period, I like to think that Batman during this time is more aimed at, you know, our age or maybe you know like college age kids or something mm-hmm. you know, with with the material that was coming out. And this this is a very much right back to like 60s you know TV Batman to me now uh, here's another thing that doesn't make any sense whatsoever you know he says you know the muse is thinking to himself no one knows but me that my synthesizer transforms people into musical notes what are these people fucking blind it's happening right in front of their eyes that this guy's getting sucked (laughs) into the machine (laughs) I'm a criminal mastermind (laughs) I don't know. Maybe this was a concert well, for the idiot. blind or something. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Makes no sense whatsoever. All righty, we got the character spotlight this uh, this week. We decided because he is featured in this issue to discuss the Shining Knight. Mm-hmm. It was a character created by Craig Flessel, or excuse me, Greg Flessel, in Adventure Comics number sixty six, uh, which had a cover date of September nineteen forty one. Sir Justin was a knight from Camelot who was given a magical suit of armor and sword after saving Merlin from being trapped in a tree. Apparently he just stabs this tree and that released Merlin. Don't quite know how that works. <laughs> Merlin also enchanted Sir Justin's horse Victory and was who was given wings and the ability to ch- to fly and his name was changed to Wing Victory. And instead of killing Sir Justin and his horse and burning them as being witches, he became a a knight of the realm. Um, Again, not quite sure why it went that way, but you wouldn't have much of a story without it. Uh, During an adventure, he became trapped in an avalanche and buried under a whole lot of snow and ice. He was thawed out in the 40s and fought crime and took the identity of Justin Arthur. He was a member of the Seven Soldiers of Victory and became time-lost with that group during a battle with the Nebula Man. He spent a few weeks with Genghis Khan and was brought back to the present by the Wesley Dodd Sandman, Superman, and Metamorpho. Oh, I wonder where that story happens. It's in that Justice League cross. Ah, okay. I wonder if I have... I brought the Seven Soldiers of Victory back. I wonder if I have that issue. I probably just... Is that like 100? I'm not sure. I, I gotta track that down. I, I probably have the issue and just forgot that I have it, but yeah, I'd like to read that, actually. It's a decent story. Um, I, I, I like most of the early JLA, JSA crossovers in concept, not execution. Yeah, exactly, so. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a neat thought, but when you actually read, especially the first couple... 
where it takes you like a day to read one issue. God, that's no joke it's either. It's so freaking text heavy. <laughs> but um, I really can't say too much more about The Shining Knight. He's going to become a, a lot more interesting when we talk about All-Star Squadron. Mm-hmm. Because he was one of the characters that Roy Thomas really used. And I think that was kind of the neat thing about All-Star Squadron, and why I'm excited when we get to it, is that as much as there were stories featuring the JSA, he created a team with the lesser-known Golden Age heroes and made them just as interesting and compelling. Right. But when the JSA showed up, it was always awesome. <laughs> with that one issue with that Ordway cover of... Uh, Green Lantern and the destroyed remains of a of a of a Japanese city. God, that's a neat cover. <laughs> Remember the one I'm talking about? I think so. Yeah. Uh, but that's yeah, that's pretty much unfortunately all we have on Shining Knight. He didn't do much in this issue, and I mean that was that was the 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 gist of the character was that he was a man out of time, right? Kind of like a Rip Van Winkle character. The, you know the, the the man from the the Arthurian times coming to the coming to the present to fight crime with his flying horse. How do you keep a horse with wings? Where, what stable was, was was keeping that horse? Well, actually, I'm going to come back to that because I got to thinking about the horse as he relates to next issue. So when we when we cover next issue, I'll, I'll be. Was he in the next issue? That's my problem. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, spoiler alert: at the end of the next issue. Um, Shining Knight actually stays in Camelot mm-hmm. at the end of the story. Where the fuck is a horse? Who watches the horse? And is, and is he already frozen in a block of ice in that time, or are there two of them? Oh, that's around? a good point, too. Yeah, I wonder how he ends up getting back, you know. I, I don't know. I really don't. I, I, we need to research that more and find out a little bit more of the history of, of Shining Knight and, you know, how long did his did his stay in, in Camelot, you know, the second go-around, how long did that stay? And, yeah, you would think that that would, you know, because Superman couldn't go back and live in Smallville of his childhood because then there would be two of him there. So how the hell did this guy go back and do it? Well, it must have been after because usually during this p- period of time, if a character went back to a time that they were already existing in, that they would become, like, phantom-like. Right, yeah. Because that's what would happen in all those. It was kind of neat the way Superman stories did it because he would be like there and then the minute he's born he becomes a phantom. Right. Uh, I, I always kind of I always thought that was a neat little writer's trick to uh, to show why he can sit there and watch Krypton be destroyed. So. Uh, well that's pretty much it for this episode I think. Mm-hmm. That's it. This one can uh, be found again reprinted in that uh, Justice League uh, trade paperback volume one and uh Crack it down, check it out. You've been listening to Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. You can email the show by writing to talesofthejsa at gmail.com. You can find the show at two, yes, count them, two websites. The first being www.fortressofbailey2.com. You can also find the show and subscribe to it through iTunes at www. Dot two true freaks dot dot com. Scott has two other podcasts that he co-hosts on a weekly basis. The first is Two True Freaks, which Scott hosts with his childhood friend and former weightlifting partner of Lou Ferrigno, Chris Honeywell. Then there's Back to the Bins, which Scott co-hosts with a cavalcade of podcasting's finest hosts. Both of those can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. 
Mike has two other podcasts he hosts or co-hosts as well. The first is Views from the Long Box, which Mike hosts all by his lonesome for the most part. And you can find that at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's the From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor. That show can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Thank you for listening, and join us next week as we present more Tales of the Justice Society of America. Thank you.